And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, he writes for The Athletic. He's a writer who ain't afraid to go off script sometimes. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? Hey, doing good, Kieran. I like uh, like the theme of this week's intro a little bit better. Yeah, well, you know, you said you didn't want about your love life. Last week, I did a sailor reference because of the drunken sailor comment by al and you know it just fit perfectly and by the way you would but but it is facts though it is facts you would not choose a body of water over a woman or anything really i don't think you would choose a body of water over you know your job would you would you trade your job to go sail in the indian ocean no i i totally missed the metaphor there that shows how smart i am but we really Probably should have dove even deeper into a discussion on why the main character of the song Brandy or Fine Girl really just made poor life choices. Like, I get it. Like, oh, you're a sailor. You don't want to be tied down. It's like, come on, dude. Like, come on. You had this girl. She takes care of you. When you, you come in and you go to the bar, she wants to stay with you. And you tell her, no, I really got to go on this. I got to go out on this boat and do some, you know, probably low wage job because it's adventurous or something. Like, come on, man, grow up. What a good wife you would be, but my love, my lady, my, my life, life, my is, love, and my lady is the sea. Is the sea. Those are just so poor I don't life know if choices. Carlos Correa, I don't know if Carlos Correa is Brandy in this situation for the Tigers, and the sea is like other other options to build a roster. The sea's like Ryan Kreidler or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, if you got a good wife, if you got a good shortstop available, you should you should probably. Um, you should probably embrace those opportunities. Uh, you should probably not let them pass by. No, those are facts. Those are big facts. And speaking of Correa, uh, he is obviously engaged right now in the American League Championship Series against the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, so we've got a mutual friend, Cody, who is a diehard Dodgers fan. And so he is still, despite winning a championship last year, he is still quite bitter about the whole, the sign-stealing scandal of years past. And so he has a strong hatred of the Houston Astros in general. Correa would be among the tops there. Altuve probably number one, just because it's Altuve. So we're talking, I'm talking with him, and he's like, you know, I just I just can't root for the Astros. I could live with Boston winning, because obviously the Dodgers are in position to go to another World Series. I could live with Boston winning, and I'm like, you know, should you have that opinion? Because the manager for the Red Sox had a year-long suspension, and is reportedly i'm trying to be safe here reportedly like the one who kind of headed the operation of the sign stealing scandal uh based on what we know which you know in fairness is relatively limited there's still a lot we don't know about went on and he was like well he served his time and i was like but he was still in charge and up until essentially aj hinch took over a lowly tigers team and showed some growth with them and some you know flex some managerial muscle you were really hating on aj hinch so like it was it, it was really hard for me to kind of pin down like the reasoning of this ire that he had if that makes sense and i think all across baseball this is going on this is the reason that i bring it up because by the time this podcast publishes we're going to be on the verge of a game, a American League Championship Series in Boston, Boston versus Houston. And you can bet every single dollar you have that Altuve is going to get a huge boo. Correa is going to get a huge boo. There's probably going to be like chance of cheater, cheater, cheater. Isn't that kind of awkward? Isn't it kind of awkward when Correa is your manager? Sure. Like, you know, Correa is smart enough that he can block out any outside noise in general. But if he allowed himself to have, like, a human moment, it'd be like, wow, 
this is kind of weird because the people that would die for me, because, you know, they're Boston Red Sox fans. They're diehards, literally. The people that would die for me are also accusing people, are like shaming people for sins that I did with them. Not sins I've also done, sins I did with them. And so I, the reason I bring this up is I still... I think we're still trying to figure out how the baseball community is sort of wrapping their arms around the sign stealing scandal, considering that all the players involved, I guess, minus Carlos Beltran, who is not a manager, although he would have been had this stuff not broke, but basically everybody's back that was involved in it. And now there are, home fans in the stands on a regular basis so this is kind of like our first go-round if you will with this and and it does somewhat tie into AJ Hinch like let me start with this do you think that if the Tigers were in a playoff series against the Astros would Tigers fans chant cheater at Altuve and Correa. And obviously, I know the impending free agency with Correa. It's not the perfect analogy, but just like generally speaking, would Tigers fans do that? Is that a thing that they would do, considering how much they wrapped their arms around AJ this year? Yeah, that, that seems to me like that would be immensely hypocritical. But I think the whole thing with the Astros investigation, the scandal has been kind of off from the start or a weird balance from the start. I think it comes back to look who was held accountable, the GM who knew about it, um, the manager who knew about it, but didn't stop it. Carlos Beltran, who had retired and gone on to manage the Mets, Alex Cora, the bench coach who uh, was, was, you know, one of the main guys, the ringleaders behind it, who went on to manage the Red Sox. Like those were the guys. World Series, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. The World Series championship. Those were the guys who were held accountable. Well, Cora and Beltran were elsewhere. Lunau and Hinch, um, you know, were, were the manager and the GM. The players, of course, were granted immunity in the investigation, even though they were the ones on the field doing it, benefiting from the scandal. So it kind of created a thing where Hinch and Cora become these faces of the scandal. But yet, really, the baseball community seems to boo the Astros, the Astros logo, the Astros brand, I think is tarnished more than, as we've seen in Detroit, more than A.J. Hinch's reputation, as we've seen in Boston, even more than Alex Cora's reputation. And I think that's kind of funny because the roster has turned over a lot since 17. If you're going to boo Correa, Altuve, whatever, but you know the Astros themselves are a different team than they were um, four years ago, yet the Astros as a team still seem to um, gather the most ire from fans across baseball where you're right. I totally think Boston fans might boo Carlos Correa while applauding their own team that is managed by a guy who served a year long suspension in the wake of the scandal, who was painted as uh, one of the kind of the driving forces behind this sign stealing operation. The Astros had the whole thing really makes no sense. So in my opinion, I think you're really left with two options. You can either kind of move on, except that what happened was bad and was not and was bad for the game, but it's been four years, suspensions were handed out, we're past it now. Or you can have a firm stance and say, you know what, I don't like anyone involved with the sign-stealing scandal, I'm not going to root for the Astros, I don't like Alex Cora, I don't like A.J. Hinch, it was wrong, whatever. I think if you have that stance, you have to be firm and you have to be consistent across the board, and that probably means you're not going to enjoy watching the ALCS very much, you know. Uh... I, I don't really think you can kind of go back and forth. For me, I think it was bad for baseball. I think it's an unfortunate thing that happened. I don't want to undermine the severity of it. But at the same time, at some point, you got to be able to move on from things. And uh, I, I think now we're kind of seeing why. If you can't move on, then you're constantly going to be pulled in opposite directions when these players, these managers, and these teams face each other in big situations. No, you're right. And on a, on a side note from that, I, I, I just want to spend a little bit of, maybe just a minute. I just want to spend a minute just like appreciating Dusty Baker. Because, yeah. so, 
the Cubs were always sort of my like National League team growing up, like, and I always kind of rooted for them. You know, the Steve Barkman thing hit me hard back in the day, and obviously Dusty was the manager of the Cubs at the time, and this is a guy who has spent more or less his entire adult life in baseball, player, manager, coach, and has had, outside of a championship, a tremendous level of success. What is he, the first manager to have five teams to win a division championship or something like that? I mean, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. And I appreciated last year when he would kind of go to bat for his guys, metaphorically speaking, of course, when they were getting thrown at a little bit. And sort of go to bat for his guys and, and, you know, yell at the other team or yell at the umpire. I appreciate that because obviously he wasn't involved. That's his team now. He, he's protecting his players a little bit. And the Astros seem like a determined team this year. I think in part is because they know that, like, the last bits of their core are kind of unraveling with the presumption that... Carlos Correa will leave in free agency, and I say presumption. He kind of said it's my last year in Houston, even though they said they're gonna, you know, try to. Before Jim Crane seems to seems to now Jim, be more interested in keeping yeah, him. Yeah, Jim Crane seems to think that they can keep him, which maybe they can. I don't know, but it seems like this is like the last bit of like the build up that made them perennial contenders and World Series champions, like Correa. Um, you know, leaving because Springer's gone. You know, we, we don't have to go through the hole. But, you know, that, that'd be like one of the last big pieces that could leave. And I also think they really want to win for Dusty. I think they, you, if you saw that video of him sort of like thanking him, uh, of him thanking them uh, when they won the division championship right before the champagne celebration. Like, it was very heartfelt, and I, I really do think they sort of want to win for Dusty. So, uh, and, and, you know, he came into this during a pandemic. He's obviously a guy that's up there in age. You know, you see him with the gloves. You see him with the masks on and all that stuff. And, I mean, I assume he's fully vaccinated. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I, I assume he's just doing this out of abundance of caution. I could be wrong, but regardless, uh he doesn't have to be managing right now at his age, and he is, and he took on a very hard task to to come into the Astros in the immediate aftermath of the scandal. So I I I just you know I just appreciate Dustin Baker for being just a baseball man through and through. I've always kind of thought this. Um, I don't know if this is something that is a good opinion, but I've always kind of thought you know. I kind of wish there was like a like a section of the Hall of Fame that sort of recognized people that were just good for 50 or 60 years in a variety of roles, but maybe never a Hall of Famer in one role. Like kind of like, and it's sort of like a dedication to the game type deal. Like Dusty was far from a Hall of Famer as a player, um, not a Hall of Famer obviously as a manager. Uh, Billy Martin kind of comes to mind a little bit. It's like, this guy was a good baseball player, and he was a good manager, and he had success at both, and he's never going to be a Hall of Famer. And so I've always kind of thought, like, there ought to be something there. And, 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 and that's not a hill I would die on, but Dusty kind of falls into that category of guys that have just been baseball stalwarts their entire life, and we should... They, they're not going to be Hall of Famers, but we ought to remember them for as long as we remember, you know, guys that are enshrined in Cooperstown in a way. If that make, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think Dusty Baker qualifies as a Hall of Fame manager. I mean, like like you said, he's done this for multiple decades with multiple different teams. He hasn't won a World Series, which is kind of crazy to think about. I didn't, you know, that's that fact's kind of been brought up here in this postseason run, and I had to be like, wait, like, he didn't? He never won a World Series? He's only been the one, I you believe. Know? Yeah, I think with the, the Giants, Angels, and uh, I, I don't know. Like, I think if you're a presence and that good of a manager for that long of a time and multiple stops, like, I, I think Dusty Baker has a strong Hall of Fame case. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, fun fact, 
That 2002 World Series was the first World Series to feature two wildcard teams. Mm. So, you come to turning the corner to hear some Tigers news and analysis. Every now and then you're going to learn a random fact. And there's your random fact. First World Series to feature two wildcard teams. So, uh, Dusty Baker, 12th all-time in managerial wins. Not bad. It's pretty good. More than Casey Stingle. More than Casey Stingle. It's pretty good. Casey Stingle did win seven World Series, but you know, you know, I'm actually, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but that was actually that that surprises me because even though he did spend those times with the Mets where he sort of had to get the franchise off the ground, I mean, the Yankees at the time were just dominating all over, and then before that, what was he, the manager of the Giants? I mean, they were good teams, player manager maybe. I, I'm I'm just speaking off the cuff here. He managed the Boston, Boston Bees, Boston, baby. Okay, so. I know it wasn't his first job. And the uh, and the Brooklyn Dodgers. Okay, so I mean, that's not nothing. That's not nothing to 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 be on that list ahead of Casey Stengel. And no one's gonna say that his legacy is greater. But you know, it's that uh, it's a hard deal to be able to get that many wins. That that's a credit to Dusty. So speaking of managers, so a couple of years ago. I was watching, and I promise I'll make this brief, and and I'll bring it back to to baseball. I was watching. Uh, oh no! NBA countdown. Doc Rivers was on, and he was talking about Toronto Raptors forward Kawhi Leonard and how great he was. At the time, Doc Rivers was the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, and Doc Rivers got fined for tampering because that's what the NBA does. He got fined for tampering. It's like. Oh, you were hyping up a guy to make yourself look good for a guy who was going to be a free agent soon. So that was the first thing that popped in my mind when A.J. Hinch goes on, was it MLB Network, and is talking about the intricacies of Carlos Correa's uh, home run against the White Sox in the uh, ALDS. I forget which game it was. And he's talking about how you know, this is not something that can be measured. Like, he sort of figured out that the White Sox were going to try to pitch him this way. And so he adjusted sort of on the fly, on his own. And he was really talking up Correa. And by the way, he was 100% right. Talking up Correa. And he was showing, like, a lot of personality. And he, and he was, I mean, it, it was awesome to see, obviously, because he's the manager of the Tigers. He's sort of an ambassador for the Tigers. Uh, my first thought was, careful, AJ, don't, don't. Don't tamper now. Don't don't get yourself a fine for tampering. Um, but my second thought was, man, this guy would be really good on TV if he didn't have uh, <laughs> if he didn't have a team to manage. Uh, but AJ AJ Hinch, when you he, he did the national radio hits all this year, and uh, he'll probably be called on another time uh, or two. For some quick analysis on MLB Network as the playoffs move on, uh, when you interact with him on a daily basis, do you see a guy? Do you see the same guy? I guess is what I would say. Do you see the same guy? And again, maybe not necessarily in the press conferences, but just as he carries himself. Do you see the same guy as like, man, this is this guy is a top MLB analyst on TV if he really wanted to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, real quick, I, I would imagine AJ is well aware of the rules and what he can and can't say. And notice he stuck to very strict analysis when it came to Correa. Although it was praising Smart him as man. a player, it was it, it, it was analytical. It was nothing that a TV analyst wouldn't say. Stanford um, educated, I, smart yeah, man. And I, I do think that, yeah, I mean, that's one of the main things that stands out around, about AJ. I think I learned more about baseball this past year than I have, you know, the rest of my life, which is, is kind of crazy. And a lot of that is through just being able to, to uh, sit down and chat with AJ Hinch. I mean, there is a version of AJ that can be a little more casual, a little more laid back, but this guy not only knows the game as well as anyone I've been around, he has an ability to put things into words and explain the intricacies of the game um, better than, better than really anyone. And yeah, I think he would be fantastic on television one day. I thought his segment talking about Dusty Baker was even better than the, than the Correa one and definitely better analysis than, than we just gave on Dusty Baker. Like, uh, it, this is a smart guy. This is why he's endeared himself to the fans this is why, you know, Dan Dickerson kind of gave AJ a big, uh, 
a big uh, shout out on Twitter and, and on the broadcast on the last day of the season. And consider Dan's been around, you know, Alan Trammell, Jim Leland, Brad Osmus, Ron Gardenhire, some very fine, very knowledgeable baseball men. Dan when it comes baseball. to contextualizing things, uh, explaining things, it's, it's very tough to be what AJ Hinch does for sure. So before we kind of get into some of the things that you wrote the, this past week, uh, I sort of wanted to ask you and kind of gauge you a little bit as a guy who's, you know, been around baseball for a couple years. And so you've been on, you know, sort of the routine of being able to go in the locker room and, and, and talk to guys. And, you know, this is some this is some insider stuff that, you know, maybe doesn't apply to just Tigers in general. But I, I think the listeners would appreciate sort of your thought processes and and how you go about doing your job. Um, obviously, last year, nothing. This year, a little bit more. Maybe not, you know, able to go on the field, able to have some in-person interviews. Um, my fear is for you and other beat writers, basically across all professional sports, is that the pandemic is going to more or less end locker room access and the way that we view sports journalism or the way that sports journalism gets played out is going to be forever changed. Are I don't, I don't, are my fears legitimate there? Do you think that, you know, you'll be able to kind of go about it because, you know, in my limited in my limited uh, go ats and in, in, in journalism, that's the one on ones are where the money is, you know, and and the locker room is one of those places that you can get those one of the more reliable places that you can get those. And you were able to navigate that very well this year, but it, I imagine it was different. So is are we in for a completely different era of sports writing is is the locker room gonna forever remain closed? Like, like, is this something that like the CBA could look at? Like, like, uh, there's a lot up in the air. Is there? Do you have any strong feelings on, or indications of of where we could go from here? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know the the answer. I wish I did because I think a lot of people in the media industry are nervous. I don't think anyone's optimistic about clubhouse access returning. I think it's possible, but there's kind of a, a tepid um, sense of being cautious in how to approach that because it will be part of the next you know, collective bargaining agreement that will hopefully get agreed to this winter. And that's a whole other discussion for another day. But um, yeah, you know, I think generally the sense is players don't love the media coming in and invading their clubhouse for an hour or so each day. And I guess that's fair to an extent. Uh, players also didn't really like Zoom interviews because it was awkward for them. So is there a middle ground? Is there a solution? Like the field access thing this year was, I think, as close to a reasonable solution as you could come to. But at the same time, look, I don't know some of the newer players on the Tigers the way I did do some of the guys who've been around, the Michael Fulmers, Matthew Boyd, Daniel Norris before he got traded. Like, uh, it's just been harder to build relationships with them because you're not able to just kind of strike up a conversation that's off the record, not even about baseball in the clubhouse, or even just see the way they interact with their teammates, stuff like that. Like, and I think that impacts the type of stories you get, you know, would I, I, would I love to write a big feature about Robbie Grossman and his life outside of baseball? Yeah. I don't necessarily know that much about Robbie Grossman's life outside of baseball because I've only talked to him in a few one-on-one settings where we're mostly talking to him about his hitting and it's hard to draw a lot more out of him. You know, I guess I've interacted with Akil Badu a lot this year and I'm kind of starting to get that relationship with Akil where we can talk more just like human beings. But, uh, you know, there's some new players, there's some young players that I don't have that rapport with and they don't necessarily have that rapport with any reporter because to them, we're probably just these faces who show up and pull them aside on the field and ask them questions, you know. And ideally, I think the relationship needs to be more than that. I think that gets into some conversations about some things that were hot topics in the journalism world, like Adam Schefter, uh, which I would never email a source my story to have them like approve it or edit it. That's uh, that's you, you, would, you, wouldn't, you, don't you do. wouldn't call Al Mr. Editor. I would definitely. <laughs> 
No, let's, let's just say no. Um, you know, I wouldn't do that. And then I think at, at the University of Oklahoma, which as a former OU beat writer, I can definitely speak on this one. There was a big controversy. The student, you know, OU's practices are closed. It's top secret. There's a, a debate about who's going to start a quarterback. Well, the student newspaper, the OU Daily, sends a kid upstairs. Uh, I think it was actually in the journalism building. It overlooks the practice field. And they see that Caleb Williams is getting first team reps and they write this story that reports first team reps. And the story also explains, you know, that they viewed practice from a public building. And I think the whole thing is very complicated. I think, you know, Twitter is very quick to rush to the side of of student journalists. And I think that's right. And I do think it makes whether it's Lincoln Riley or the OU administration look petty. I think that's true. I also think there can be a tepid balance, though. It reminds me of the uh, the Anthony Finnick, Justin Verlander thing a couple years ago. Like, ultimately, the Astros should not have kicked Anthony Finnick out of the clubhouse. That's not right. Uh, I, I would say, I'll, I, I don't, no, I'll say, it. like, I think Anthony Finnick, as well as, like, the OU Daily, kind of knew what they were doing and knew that they were kind of brewing a big mess. And I think you somehow, sometimes have to weigh, like, okay, is this necessary? I think OU football practice is not Watergate. At the same time, I think OU invites itself into this kind of criticism because they're so closed off, because practice is such a top secret that when you get a nugget like this, because it's not a human relationship. I've covered OU, and guess how many casual conversations I had with either Bob Stoops or Lincoln Riley? Uh, Zero. Maybe like half of one with Lincoln. Like, not really. Like, I didn't know them as people. I didn't talk to the administrators as people. Talk to him in press conference settings. That was about it. Baseball, I love, is much different. Uh, I've talked on this podcast before. You know, sometimes I've written things that have upset the Tigers. I've had to, like, you know, talk with the PR staff or Alavila. And that, again, weird balance. When you do know these guys, when you talk to them every day, how do you make sure you're still objective and cover them fairly? Um, at the same time, I think that's a better balance for both sides when you can have this human interaction. That's why I hope Clubhouse Access um, comes back, you know, in in the next collective bargaining bargaining agreement. I think it's just better for both sides if it doesn't have to be this adversarial relationship. I think journalists can still be objective at the same time. Um, like some of this controversy, I think OU invited the controversy upon itself by being so secretive and so i don't know that's kind of my stance on on that whole thing well let me let me ask you this so obviously you know you're not an old head but you are you 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 would still be a veteran uh, of covering baseball and and major league baseball and, and covering locker rooms um i'm not asking you to name names but just like generally speaking Based on your observations, based on maybe anecdotes, how do the players kind of feel about you know reporters in the locker room? Because like, I, in fairness, I'm I'm gonna say this in fairness, it is a weird thing because mm-hmm. like you know like just think you guys out there just think about your job and like you have this one space where like you're sort of collected with your coworkers. And then there are people that come in to either question you about what you did wrong or to try to sort of like get to, it, 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 get to know you. It, it's a weird thing. No one's going to dispute that. It is a weird thing if you just kind of set it in a vacuum. But it's also sort of baked into the cake when it comes to sports reporting. So just generally speaking, how do players kind of view this whole locker room at clubhouse access thing just on your observations over the years yeah i think generally players don't like the media coming in the clubhouse i I think it really varies from player to player some guys are much more comfortable around the media than others some guys have a much better understanding of the role of reporters than others so like it can vary but generally no one likes it i would say generally reporters don't like it the bad thing from the reporter standpoint say say i go in I go into the clubhouse and I'm trying to talk to um, Casey Mize. I'm going to talk to Casey Mize today for a story. And while Casey might be in the back, you know, stretching, he might be in the weight room, he might be getting some treatment on his arm, he might be um, in the cafeteria eating, 
And so the clubhouse is open for like an hour. Uh, the problem is players aren't always there when you want to talk to them. So sometimes that leads to, you know, three or four reporters kind of standing in the corner trying to not intrude on the players too much. But that's very awkward as a reporter. You feel this aversion. And I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be standing there awkwardly in the corner. Um, so it's been talked about maybe a solution. Okay, the media access period is in an hour. It's like 20 minutes, but every player has to be there. That's an interesting solution. Then I'd feel bad for like the rookies that aren't getting interviewed, though, but um, maybe that's a waste of their time. But I, I think that's closer to maybe a solution. I've wasted hours of my life standing there waiting on players who may or may not ever show up. And I think that leads to people standing around this feeling that you're being invaded a little bit. Granted, that's also where some of the best relationships are built when you're able to just stand there and kind of start chatting the guy up about his family or about golf or whatever. So I, I, I think there are things that could be improved. I understand how maybe the idea of the media, look, the baseball clubhouse thing started in the same era where reporters were flying on team planes and that doesn't happen anymore. Funny enough, I get asked that a lot. Oh, so do you like fly with the team? It's like, no, that's 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 not how it works. Not anymore. a thing. Not, uh, a thing. <laughs> not a thing. You know, and so are there are there ways this could be altered to make it less awkward for players and reporters? Probably, but I think you have to be very careful there because when you start taking away the humanity of the game, that's how you get into situations like OU football. That's how you get into. Um, yeah, I think the coverage of your team is worse. I think reporters are less likely to really know the truth about what's going on, about the people they're covering. Players are more skeptical of the media. I think that all boils down to coverage that is not as good for the fans, which is ultimately not as good for the team, which is ultimately not as good for the game. But obviously, I'm coming from a little bit of a biased perspective here. Funny enough, as, as a journalist, I'm being very biased right now. I mean, you're being fair. I mean, that's why I brought up the whole thing. Like, is it comfortable? You know, like oh, that's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I've, you know, I I spent a summer covering the uh, the Tulsa Shock, which is now the Dallas Wings, which formerly was the 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 Detroit Shock, you know, WNBA team, and you know, locker room was open X amount of time before the game and X amount of time after the game and. I'd be shuttled in there and, you know, all of the players would be fully dressed because they knew that was the, you know, availability and it was very professional and it was very well done. And, uh, it, so it can be done. That's the whole point is that it can be done in like a simplistic matter of like people just kind of knowing the situation. I mean, it's all part of it because I, I think players generally speaking across all sports sort of have a blind spot to like the role of the media where it's like the media is how the fans get interest and the fans like they're they're and you're not able to live a lifestyle you do without the fans if you're a professional athlete so that doesn't necessarily mean you gotta kiss anybody's butt or you gotta do this or you gotta do that or you gotta adhere to like what the fans think about every issue but like that's ultimately the driving force so it's it's a delicate thing. It there's a lot of things in our society that are going to be forever changed by COVID. I hope that being able the things that come with clubhouse access is not one of them. And as we really narrow the scope of things that changed because of COVID, <laughs> specific to us, because uh, that's what we are. We are a baseball, a, a Tigers podcast. So. Uh, I wanted to spend a little time on, as you probably can hear, uh, got my dog scratching the door, but they're going to have to wait. Uh, I wanted to spend a little time on the Tigers offseason wish list. Every single time Carlos Correa does anything, and in game one, he had a monster home run. He swagged it the F out with the, you know, it's my time. You know, it was pretty impressive. And is like, oh, well, you know, future Tiger, Carlos, like, it's almost one of those things where if it doesn't happen, like, I, I'm very, very much afraid for Tiger's Twitter uh, of how, how they are going to react. 
But I, I sort of wanted to spend just a little bit of time because I don't want to spend too much on free agency because we're a long way from it. But I sort of want to spend a little bit of time on the theory of long-term contracts. So everybody and their mom on Tiger's Twitter, and they're right. I'm not criticizing the notion. They are right. Everybody and their mom on Tiger's Twitter wants a one of these high-dollar shortstops. You know, your Correa's, your stories, your whatever. Are you going to be able to stomach? I'm asking you, the fan. Are you going to be able to stomach the commitment and the dollars that 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 comes with it? And I and I know it's you know it's not a salary cap league, so I know it's a little bit different. But at the same time, in baseball, this is what we do in baseball, where you sign this huge contract for so many years, and it's like we're just supposed to accept. Like, yeah, this deal is going to be terrible and, you know, halfway through. This is what we do in baseball. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't even take halfway through for the deal to be terrible. You know, like there's many examples of that as well. But that's that's sort of like the market of, of baseball free agency. So I sort of I sort of want to gauge Tigers fans and y'all can tweet at us. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Cody's at Cody Stavenhagen. You know, our podcast page is at Turn Corner Pod. Like, when when those figures get announced, are you going to be comfortable? Are you going to be comfortable? So, I ask you as someone who is obviously not a Tigers fan, but follows the Tigers, covers the Tigers. Generally speaking, where do you kind of land on, like, like, just like the cost of doing business of these long, high dollar contracts in baseball like it 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 almost seems like none of them end up being and this is going to sound like i'm anti-signing correa i'm not but it's like they end up almost none of them end up being like you know at the end of it yeah man that was such a great deal we got a bargain on that guy you know what i mean like where do you kind of fall on just the philosophical aspect of like baseball free agency which we all just kind of accept as reality yeah, I mean, I guess this is one of the things that comes from baseball having a strong players union. And yeah, free agency is pro labor and it is good for the Absolutely. players. Make all the money you can. I think if I were a GM, if I were an owner, I wouldn't want to ever hand out more than a four or five year contract. Supposedly that was kind of always going to be the Astros thinking as they as they built up their team. Now they're sitting here about to lose Correa and it sounds like Jim Crane has kind of changed his mind and Jeff Nunell's not the GM anymore. So we'll see what happens there. The, the problem is, if you're a player, you can come out and say, okay, I want eight years. I want nine years. And then if you're a GM, well, are you going to just not sign the guy? Are you going to just not have a shortstop? I think that's exactly the conundrum the Tigers face this offseason. Look, I do think they should sign Carlos Correa. I think fans should be prepared for a world in which Correa says, I want eight, nine years, and the Tigers really look at it and say, I don't know if that's a wise commitment to stake our entire future on, or maybe a team like the Yankees can more easily hand out that sort of deal. Um, you know, could the Tigers, how would you feel about eight for 265 with a couple of opt-outs in there, and in, in which case maybe you almost hope he opts out after four years, you know? Um I don't know. I think it's it's a tough balance. I think it is kind of the cost of doing business a little bit. I wouldn't do a 10-year deal. I wouldn't want to do anything more than five. So maybe can you compromise with a seven-year contract? If it's a guy that's Correa's age, I don't think that's terrible. Now, when you start looking at guys who get into their 30s, that's pretty rough. And we've seen some good players actually be forced to short-term deals because teams have been less willing to give those out. I'm not sure that's going to be the case with the shortstop market, Correa, especially this offseason because of his age, because he is going to be the top dog on the hot stove. I think he's going to be able to command pretty much as many years as he want, as he wants. And that's that's where it gets kind of scary for the Tigers and for any team. Is it worth the risk? I don't have the answer to that question. I'm not sure anyone does. Well, Here's what it comes down to. Like, if, if you're the GM, and, and, you know, any team, not just the Tigers. If you're the GM, 
and it's like my firm stance is six years and you know whatever million dollars well guess what somebody else is gonna offer eight years and right, right. you know and, and by the way this is sort of like uh you know i'm a big believer that a lot of things in our society kind of ebb and flow um this happens in politics this happens in like uh like uh like clothing trends you know like things go away and then they come back or they revert yeah you know, it there was it wasn't that long ago and this predates us cody but it wasn't that long ago that in free agency like essentially owners were teaming up to like not pay guys and so mm-hmm. and, and actually we did get that a couple of years ago with uh uh Marcakis, right no not Marcakis. uh no with the royals no. uh with uh it's bad podcasting on my part. More no. Mustakis. 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 Yes, because he should have gotten way more money than he did, but he, there was like no market, and they, they accused the owners. I don't think they made like a formal complaint, but the notion was they accused the owners of sort of like shortchanging free agency that year, mm-hmm. and and so like this is a thing that's happened over the course of labor in in, in Major League Baseball, so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at a – it's just Bleacher Report, but just for funsies, we'll do this real quick. I'm going to look at a, a, a September article from Bleacher Report about the upcoming free agents. And I'll just I'll, – I'll, I'll give you their prediction and just in a vacuum, would you say, yeah, I'd pay that. So Trevor Story. Trevor Story, would you do five years, $150 million. Trevor Story. Yeah. Yep, that's a that's a pretty quick yes. All right, five one fifty, so thirty a year for five years. I and I like short. it ending at year five. So I'm yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I tend to agree with that too. Corey Seager, would you do eight for two eighty? No. Yeah, I mean, paying a lot, and it's a long deal. I I would much prefer the story option. Let's put it that way. What about for Correa, 10 for 340? No, I'm not giving anyone a 10-year deal. And again, and the reason I bring this up, and yeah, I mean, it's just scary in general. But the reason I bring this up is because, now I know it's a little bit different, but the mode is kind of there. It's like we're still kind of living with the ramifications of that Cabrera extension. Totally. It's not exactly the same thing, so I'm not comparing like Correa now to when they gave. But at the time, you could have very easily talked yourself into like, okay, Cabrera, you know, he'll DH and, you know, he'll be able to, his shelf light will be a little bit longer because he's not playing a physically demanding position in the field and in theory his bat will always be suitable i mean that was kind of the bet at the time and it'd be an easy way to talk yourself into it so i i just kind of wanted to these are not any official offers or like any leaks or anything i just kind of wanted to put some random numbers out there for people just to kind of have in their mind so uh we we can move on to uh what i thought was a really fun article you had this week cody where you know not enough people do this Especially when you're in the, uh, I mean, you're not in the take business, but like part of your job is to kind of give some predictions or whatever. And not enough people sort of hold themselves accountable, just in general. So I thought this was really fun that you kind of revisited your predictions for the year 2021. I say year, and you'll understand why I say year, not season 2021 here in a second. Where you uh you you gave some season year predictions for the Tigers and you sort of you know here's what I said at the time, here's what actually happened. I went through and I kind of tallied where you were right and where you were wrong, and uh, and we'll just kind of go through them real quick. By the way, if you can read these in full, if you subscribe to the Athletic, uh, and if you have it by now. You've missed out on like four fifty percent off. 
uh, subscription sales. I think there's still technically, I don't want to speak out of turn. Don't hold me to this. I think there's still technically one going on. I believe so. And look, guys, I got I got a performance review coming up next month. Um, you know, inflation's kind of crazy out there. If I could, if I could add a little to the numbers, uh, that that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I'd appreciate. Yeah, it. it'd be cool because look, like, you know, not only is Cody like killing it on the beat, he's doing this podcast too. You know, this is this is you know, it's freelance work without the Lance. You know, it's just free. <laughs> so this is true. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, the, you know, the guy cares. I mean, if you could spare 35 bucks, you could spare 70 bucks. That'd be great. Uh, and the athletic is always doing deals. So it, it's definitely worth the price. You've heard my spiel on that a million times. So we'll just kind of go, we'll go one by one real quick. And I'll say, uh, I'll give my opinion on whether that's, you got this correct or not. Even though you sort of like grade yourself, I have a couple deviations from your self grade and we don't have to spoil everything in the articles. But uh, prediction number one, I thought it was very interesting. Prediction number one, Matt Manning sees plenty of innings. Well, that certainly happened. <laughs> More actually than I than I probably thought he would when I really looked at it. I said I bet he gets at least 10 starts in the big leagues. He, uh, he actually blew that out of the water, 18 starts. Yeah, I mean. And, and Even though he got called up when he wasn't really ready, <laughs> he, still, he still got the work. No, he did, and and again, we'll evaluate these guys, at, you know, at a later date or whatever. But that was something that, you know, you, you published that initial article December thirty first. We didn't necessarily have Al saying what his like goal was for when they would come up, and obviously we had no idea about injuries in the rotation. It came closer. That ended up being right on the money. So that's a win for you. That's that's a dub for for that. Here's another dub. We get clarity on Jake Rogers, although in a way that you didn't, couldn't have anticipated, we got clear, in my opinion, we got clarity on Jake Rogers, and then we just got all kinds of mud on the vision. Yeah, we got clarity, and then we lost it again, so I don't know if that's totally a win. We were we were real close to getting clarity, although when No, no, it's a win. You can't predict Tommy John. Jake's at-bat total, though, this year was pretty much the same as it was in his um, his 2019 call-up, which feels really short, and we were kind of like, oh, whatever. And now, because he played good for a couple months, it's kind of like, oh, Jake was the guy. He established himself. That sample still pretty small. I do think his defensive improvements and the way he was calling the game... um, I think he had really solidified himself there, unfortunately. Yeah, now, who knows? The guy's not going to be back until he's uh, he's going to miss a full season. When he gets back, he's going to be like 27. At the same time, he's a catcher. I, I, I'm sure we have not seen the last of Jake Rogers by any means, but he will have to prove himself all over again. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and, and we can talk a little bit more about that at a later date, but we got clarity on who, once he reset expectations and all that stuff, we got clarity on on what Jake Rogers is and a little bit of a better idea of what he could become. But at the same time, the the surgery throws that through a loop. So I wonder if you guys can hear the clacking of my dogs. They want to go outside, but they're going to have to wait because we got a pod. Uh, prediction number three was Willie Castro comes back down to earth. Now, we all know the season that Willie Castro had, and you said that you were on the money. I don't think you were on the money because I think Willie Castro went into uh, he went the Jules Verne route where he went to a journey to the center of the earth. Uh, I don't necessarily think he came back down the earth. I think he went to the center of the earth. And I, it's a guy that I would really like to root for. And we all remember the home run and spring training off Garrett Cole and all that stuff. But... I it, it it's it, there there's it's it, you have a hard time if you wanted to die on the hill of Willie Castro is a good baseball player and here to stay I commend you if you choose to die on that hill I don't know if anyone is I'm just saying just in general like that I commend you I think I gave that one an L because I I think he came way further down than just down the earth is that fair <laughs> you're 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 a tough grader but. To an extent, you're right. Uh, we said it on this podcast once. We were talking about Willie Castro, and you're like, who saw this coming? I was like, well, I saw it coming. I said even then, though, I didn't quite see it being this bad, especially with the bat. Uh, 220, you know, 
I wouldn't have expected. I would have probably guessed uh, maybe it's like 240, 245, probably with a little more pop, or at least he would have had a couple stretches where you really saw the talent. And he had a good game here and there, but he, at least as I can recall, he never had one prolonged stretch where he was like hot. It was a year of like just bad performance at the plate for Willie, and I wouldn't have even predicted. Um, I, I, you're right. I wouldn't have guessed it would have been as bad as it was, um, especially with at the plate. Now in the field, no, I would have guessed that. No, yeah, it, it, no, <laughs> I, I won't take that away from you. I, I will not. I, I wouldn't dare take that away from you. So your fourth prediction was Isak Paredes establishes in the, himself, Ooh, and uh, and and that that's just an L you got to take because you know for. You know, a handful of reasons that if we had the benefit of hindsight aren't like surprising, you know, little knickknack injuries and, you know, things of that nature. But he's still very much a, uh, as, as I like to say, a tweener. And maybe maybe tweener might be too hard because uh, might be too generous because, uh, you know, I always just describe Jamer as that. But even prior to the past couple of years, Jamer had more strings of major league success than Isak has at this point. Yeah, I'm still an Isak Paredes believer. I think he's got a chance to establish himself. I, I'd love to see him like win the second base job next year, but I think we know enough about him now that that's going to require some changes to his game. We saw that the last couple weeks of the season, which, as we talked about last week, aren't really like indicators of who he is but we saw him pull the ball we saw him start to drive the ball a little more the tigers have really done some work on a swing they're trying to get that bat to stay in through the zone longer have a a, you know a swing that's on plane with the ball longer they want to encourage him to pull the ball a little more if he can make those changes i think he's got to work on his body get in the weight room this offseason maybe spend less time hitting 85 mile an hour pitches in the mexican winter league and more time like doing squats or whatever i don't know uh, I, I think there's work. a real future for this guy, but I think we have learned it's not just going to come like that. He's going to have to put in the work to make the changes that gets into like, what's this guy made of mentally? I think that's the answer we're going to get um, over this next off season. And, and on the subject on what's he's made up mentally, I do want to give credit for embracing, you know, those middle infield opportunities, second base shortstop, but if if you're not going to be a corner infielder, and for him specifically, obviously third base, you got to do some work on your body. You got you got you got to do some work on like you can't you can't have that you can have that physique at third base. You can't really have it at second or short. Are, are you telling me this is not a body positive podcast, Karen? I am positively saying that he needs to improve his body in order to play middle infield. That's what I'm telling you. Uh, so, number five, uh, I'm, I'm not going to read what you initially wrote for all of them, but I actually thought this was really good. So, this is what mm-hmm. you wrote on December 31st. AJ, the prediction was A.J. Hinch wins over the fans. And this is what you wrote. A.J. Hinch's presence won't magically transform this roster into a playoff contender. But I have a strong sense we'll be able to feel Hinch's impact on the team after he settles in. Some Tigers fans might be on the fence about Hinch after the Astro scandal, but if he's not already, Hinch should become a popular figure by the end of 2021. And that's that's a round tripper of a uh, of a dub. That's a this is my time ALCS home run of a dub uh, on that one, Cody. Yeah, almost like I know what I'm talking about. Sometimes, look, when they hired Hinch this off season, it was like, all right, you know, yeah, the baggage, it is what it is. This is a smart guy. Look, and I wrote that before I I had only talked to AJ a couple times, and they were both on the record, like. I didn't really know him like I know him now, but I knew the dude was smart. I knew he's bringing a different baseball vocabulary to the table. I knew he saw the game in a more forward-thinking way and was going to bring a different attitude, um, both in terms of like the winning culture and just okay, it's 2021, let's act like it. Like I, I got all the indications very early on that he was the type of manager the Tigers needed, 
And yeah, sure enough, he, he fit that description to a T and I think won over the fans every bit as much as I would have thought, probably even more. And again, the team won 77 games, which in the, in these predictions, I said, oh, they'll, they'll still finish in last place. Hinch's impact was so strong that I was wrong on that. When they finished in third place, they won 77 games. Yep, and that was uh, one of your later predictions. But in- another one that, y- that you know, hit to a T, Chris Fetter makes a difference. I mean, <laughs> hard, hard to say it any better than that. I mean, you, you, and specifically at the time, you sort of mentioned like Boyd, Fulmer, Jimenez, and Soto. Boyd, a little bit of a wash because of injuries, but, you know, he still had the strong start. Uh, Fulmer with the new role. Soto uh, being your 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 bullpen ace, I guess, is a good way to put it, even, you know, with the closer, not closer, whatever, bullpen ace. And then Jimenez was able to be positive in long stretches even after a tough start there. So the Chris Fetter fingerprints, uh, he deserves it, but there's – there's no one outside of the uh, somebody named A.J. Hinch who's getting more credit for the Tigers' turnaround than Chris Fetter. Yeah, and I did know Chris Fetter before I wrote that, and there was no doubt in my mind that this guy was going to be an incredible uh, pitching coach. I think everyone in the industry saw that. I think it was, you know, teams had been trying to hire him for a couple of years, and he kept saying no. And he was, you know, he was at Michigan, and it took the opportunity to work with A.J. Hinch to get him to, to Detroit. I really had no doubt that he would make a pretty tangible impact. And, again, he has. And I think the, the players that needed it most add in Kyle Funkhauser and Alex Lang to that. Like, he's really gotten the most out of the most talented arms. Um, or guys who had, talented, who had talent but didn't have good command or weren't quite using their arsenal right. We've only seen one year of this, too, and I think it's going to be a long process um, for some of these changes to really pay off, for him to continue to get to know these pitchers better. Really interested to see how we're going to look back at this the Chris Fetter hiring in three or four years because it might be pretty incredible. No, no doubt. Prediction number seven, Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson don't crack the majors yet. And again, I'll read your description at the time that you wrote because it's short and sweet and you might as well be Nostradamus with this. Expect the Tigers to take it easy. There's no rush. But come 2022, both players will be knocking on the door, perhaps loudly. And if we were to gauge who's knocking louder, it's obviously Riley Green. But Torgelson won't be far behind uh, as he continues to get seasoning. Yeah, I don't know that that one was like, I, I think that was fairly obvious last winter, but at the same time, we didn't really know how these guys were going to play in the minors. Maybe there was a world where Torkelson just looked like the greatest hitter of all time. You know, and even late in the season, there was kind of chatter. Oh, what if, what if you brought up Riley? What if you brought up Spencer? Um, I, I think I always kind of knew that that wasn't what the Tigers envisioned. Sure enough, both guys had tremendous years in the minors, though, and they are every bit here to make an impact in 2022 whether it's opening day or a little later in the summer we're going to see a lot of these guys next year and that's that's an even more obvious prediction than uh the fact that they wouldn't be up last season well see you accuse me of being a hard grader but now you're being hard on yourself i mean we at the time we hadn't seen spencer in any minor league games and we hadn't seen riley green in any minor league action outside of just that like fast-paced hov lane season he had right after being drafted so there was a lot still up in the air especially green given his age uh so i'll give you a little bit more credit than you're giving yourself there your uh, eighth prediction was miguel cabrera gets his milestones say you call you call me a hard grader i'm giving you full credit for the fact that he got 500 home runs even if he came up just short of 3,000 hits. So, I mean, that happened. It was a glorious moment with the 500th home run. Um, 3,000 hits could happen, unfortunately, uh, before the the first home stand. But at the same time, I'll give you credit for that because, again, we're just going off what Miguel Cabrera had done at the time. This was a better Cabrera season than we had seen in a bit. So I'll give you credit. I'll give you full credit for 500 home runs, even even if he didn't yeah, get. Yeah, I, I guess that's a makeup call because I literally got the prediction wrong. I said he'd get 500 and 3,000. He didn't get 3,000. He's 13 hits short. I kind of in that in the story did the math, looked at his 2019 season, 
And it was like, if he replicates this, he'll he'll get to 3,000. And he was close, but uh, just short. And and so he didn't get it. So I think I, I think I got that one wrong. Well, here's the, uh, you already mentioned it, but your biggest L was that the Tigers would finish in last place. And, mm-hmm. and there's no there's no fault there. But I mean, who could who could have predicted really, uh, especially the Twins, sort of dismantling? We almost forget how much that kind of helped. Even though the Tigers did not have a good record against the AL Central, the Twins. What a weird season! And the Tigers certainly benefited from their fall off. Yeah, and uh, and obviously the White Sox did what we expected the White Sox to do. And you know, I'm very curious to see how the the just. Like Royals fans should be curious how the Tigers handle their young guns and and the uh, and and vice versa because that's going to play a huge part in who sort of tries to knock on the door of the White Sox who anyone who knows baseball would maintain that they uh, they seem to be here for the long haul. Uh, so your tenth prediction. This is why I, so I told you at six correct, three wrong. And one incomplete because your last prediction was the Tigers will sh- sign a shortstop now uh, after the season, obviously. So we've, we, we've done some career stuff and story. Uh, we'll talk about this more. Some of these players have since signed extensions, most notably Francisco Lindor, uh, which, you know, if we we're talking about caution with contracts, he would, it's very early. In all fairness, but that would fall into that category. So we'll 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 see on that one. I mean, I think they will. We can talk about it later about you know who their main target is, and then it's like who's your secondary target? Are you gonna miss out? Like you know, if you shoot and miss, you end up getting nobody. Like there's a lot of things that could go into this, but. Uh, but yeah, overall, I thought your record was pretty good, Cody. I think you got a pretty good pulse on this team, even more yeah, so now. No, I'm, I'm proud of it. I, I would I have wrote that article if I was like over ten. I kind of like to think I would because it still would have been <laughs> a good indicator like how things change, and that was kind of the point of it. Um, and I think that goes back to the shortstop conversation. It was always easy to see the Tigers targeting a shortstop, but it makes even more sense after the season they had, after the progress they had. I don't think there's another reason to say, oh, we kind of got to delay the big signing another summer. Like, I don't think – or another winter. I think uh, I think the time is here even more so than it would have appeared uh, when I wrote that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I look to see if things line up and uh, just – you know all the factors involved and it would be hard to argue that more things could possibly line up than the tigers to sign a shortstop this offseason which of course we will get into uh as we continue through the offseason is there anything you wanted to plug going forward uh no not a lot not a lot i'm gonna add i'm really interested to see what happens with this cardinals managerial opening really took me by surprise that they fired up mike schild good point i wonder if one george lombard will get a call i think the consensus was the main managerial openings probably go to more veteran guys like like the padres probably looking for an established manager man i think george lombard would be a pretty good fit for the cardinals and that would be a pretty big loss for the Tigers. So uh, that's one. That's a job to keep an eye on and a big surprise. That's a good point. And uh, I hope Tigers fans, especially those that listen to this podcast, you know, had somewhat of an appreciation for what he brought to the clubhouse every day, um, uh, him being Lombard. And, uh, yes, he would be missed. So, all right, we'll wrap up here. Uh Thank you, everybody, for listening. We are going to keep on peddling out these podcasts because, hell, they're a lot of fun. We just talked for over an hour. I thought we'd go 30 minutes, and then just Cody and I just keep – just get going. And <laughs> we just get going, and we, we – you know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun for us. I hope you guys uh, can sense that from listening. I will say this, a uh, little, little shout-out for the listeners. Uh, Cody and I – are venturing to Vegas here in a couple weeks. It is my bachelor party. Cody is my best man. So if you got Vegas tips, 
send them our way. You know, you can you can you can add us on Twitter once again at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Uh, if it's you know a little nefarious, you can DM us. You know, we will. <laughs> We, we we won't judge, but uh, if you guys got any Vegas tips, this is uh, this is our first time doing it. We got a little little crowd. We're mainly centered on uh, you know doing some uh, some sports book stuff. But if there's any other tips you guys got, places to go, places to eat, you know, ventures that we have to go down, uh, feel free to shoot us some tips. We'll take them all. We uh, we're very much open ended as we venture on this. Yeah, I hope I fare better in Vegas than I did last night at World Star World Casino. Also, uh, yeah, what happens in Vegas is supposed to stay in Vegas, but we'll try to do a little recap for you guys on the podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. We we'll we'll give you guys a sense of what went on, and uh, you know. Cody and I also got some, I think we got some pretty big things in the work for this podcast in general, and uh, I, I think it will very much be worth your time this offseason as uh, the Tigers aren't playing, but we're still grinding. So we appreciate everybody listening, everyone that subscribes on Apple and Spotify. Once again, he is at Cody Stavenhagen on Twitter. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn corner pod please subscribe rate and review we appreciate everybody for listening and have a great week